You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. My name is Phil Vestal, and I am very honored and blessed to bring you a very special interview episode today. In this conversation, I'm joined by Dale Cooper, or some people know him, Coop, who was the chaplain of Calvin College for about 30 years and greatly impacted countless lives for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm really excited about this episode because this is honestly a dream come true for me. It's the type of episode where it's someone I had wanted to have on even before I had a podcast. And I thought, if I ever have a podcast, I need to have on Coop because he's a man of wisdom, a man of presence, someone who has lived in a way that is worthy of emulation. And I believe that you will experience that even through this short conversation. I wish we could have talked for 10 hours, but um, for these about 40 minutes, whether Coop is talking about his own history with his parents and their story, or his own faith journey of sort of his spiritual disciplines, his hopes as a follower of Jesus, sort of how he goes about interacting with other people, loving people and serving God, I believe he'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged from beginning to end, whether he's quoting a golfer or a theologian, scripture, or any number of people. I believe this is worth the short amount of time that we were able to spend together. I believe you'll be blessed. I believe that you will come out with more ideas, with more inspiration for how to make space for the Spirit in your own life. So thank you again for joining us. I'm super excited to bring you this special episode. I pray that you are blessed, and I pray that you get a small taste of this faithful follower of Christ. So enjoy this episode, my conversation with Dale Cooper. Thank you so much for coming. I mean, this is a huge honor to get to talk to you for a few minutes. Oh, privilege, Phil. Privilege. So I, I know for many listening, especially students who may have gone to Calvin before, who know who you are, or other people listening who may not know, I know you've had a huge impact on many people's lives and in, in a inspirational way to be like Christ, just a pastoral heart, especially remembering everyone's name. And so I know a lot of people just look up to you as a, as a mentor, as someone who lives a life like Christ. Um, so maybe starting really broad, how did you get where you are? What's kind of shaped your faith in terms of here's who I want to be in Christ? Well, thank you for your words uh, about my life and about my ministry. Um, I'll try to receive it in the spirit of 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, encourage one another, build one another up. Uh, what, I, what I'm not, Phil, is I'm not a big deal. And I want to be very, very clear about that. Uh, I, he who toots his own horn plays in a very small band, someone, <laughs> someone once said. And um, I, I, Matthew 5, verse 16 is very, very true. Jesus said, be salt, be light, so that others seeing your good works may give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. So let it be clear that in this conversation, if we can help one another along um, by a few comments that I make, my eagerness is 
to help them and also to give Jesus glory. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. So you asked me, what were some of the shaping influences in my life? And Phil, you know a little bit about my story. Um, but if I were to say, who is Dale Cooper? I would say, first of all, he's a husband. Um, Marsh and I, 52 years. We still like each other a lot. <laughs> That's good. It's the single biggest gift that God has given me, apart from Jesus Christ, is the gift of Marcia. So we have four children, so I'm a father. We have 14 grandchildren. I'm a grandfather. I, I, I'm also a pastor, and as a former chaplain of Calvin College, and I did it for about 30 years, um, I had the best of three worlds. Number one, I could preach. Number two, I could, I could uh, teach. And number three, I could be a pastor. And so it was a great, oh, if I could live my life over again vocationally, I'd do it right over again because the Lord has blessed me so, so, so richly. It was something I never aspired to. I, I never applied for the job. Um, it just, well, it just kind of so happened. <laughs> but the other side of it is, uh, there was a kind of providential proximity, <laughs> as, as my friend John Harris says. Uh, so that I, I was appointed to it. What has shaped me? When I look back over the trajectory of my life, and when I say Dale Cooper, humanly speaking, whom did God use to shape and direct your life so that you are right now where you are? Namely, in the final chapter of your life, uh, as, a, as a follower of Jesus. What, what, what made you? I would have to first of all say it was my parents. Uh, you're a little bit familiar with it, but for the sake of this little uh, conversation, I'll repeat it. When I was three and she was 26, my mother became uh, a victim of polio. Within the space of four days, she became a totally paralyzed woman. And I'll make a longer story much tolerable for you. My brother died at age 66, so 40 years later, uh, never moving another muscle except in her face. So she could speak, but she lived in what's called an iron lung, which did the breathing for her. When my mother came down with it, initially she said, oh, I don't think I can, I can do this. The doctor said, well, you could figure out about six weeks in the hospital. Well, six weeks became six months, became four years in the hospital, another 36 at home. And I'm here to tell you, with as much honesty and authenticity as I can muster, that in my 40 years of living with my mother, not a single time did I hear her complain. Not a single time did I ever hear her in any way voice, why did this happen to me? Quite the contrary. She said, rather than asking why me, I say, why not me? And to think that I have been chosen by God, here was her phrase, to be a defender of his honor is my high calling. So that's the way my mother lived. Now the other side was my dad. My dad was a farmer and a very good farmer. Uh, he loved farming and uh, he was just beginning. And then my mother got sick in November of 1945. My dad went with her to the hospital, wasn't able to go into the room with her because polio was highly contagious. 
But after about two and a half weeks, when it appeared as though my mother were going to die, they let my dad in. They put a gown on him and a mask on him. He came into that room. He put his hand on her forehead. He said, it's going to be okay, kiddo. And she kind of perked up. And the doctor saw it and said, Mr. Cooper, you may come in here whenever you want. <laughs> so once again, to make a long story short for you, for the next four years, my dad stayed with my mother in Blodgett Hospital, uh, in Blodgett Hospital for two years, Holland Hospital for another two years. And then when she was able to come home in the iron lung, my dad became her full-time care attendant. And so for 36 years, he had a routine of getting her up in the morning, giving her a bath, tending to her bodily needs, feeding her, uh, fluffing up her hair, turning on the television, turning it off, all those kinds of things. And uh, he did it utterly uncomplainingly. And I and Marcia, my wife, were present when my mother died, and I shut the iron lung off, first time in 40 years. The first person to have spoken was my dad, who said, Margie was a wonderful wife. Hmm. So Phil, when I grow up, I want to be like my dad and my mom. Hmm. And when I grow up, I want to keep on singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, because my daddy and my mommy showed me so. Hmm. So that was one of the fun, uh, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, but I'm also a little boy, because what happened to me through that has continued to shape me. So really, my, my present task is to hand on to my heirs what I've received from my ancestors, my parents and others who have shaped me along the way. And that's part of my calling right now. It's to live in gratitude and, and uh, to, to live among the next generation. So that's kind of what shaped me, Phil. Thanks for sharing. That's um, a, a difficult but beautiful story. I'm honored you share. In there you were talking about sort of being who they taught you to be and helping to pass that on. Mm -hmm. um, what does that look like, I guess? I mean, I, we know about serving, and I know that there was yeah. clearly a reliance upon God there and not, not complaining. How, how do you take up that task of passing that on? Well, great question. When I ask, when Jesus asks me the question in Luke 18, verse 8, and by the way, for me, it's one of the single most important questions, if not the most important question, that the Lord Jesus ever asks me is this. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Hmm. Will he find faith on the earth? Plenty of things Jesus didn't ask. He didn't ask, will I find a group of people who love to, uh, love to worship me with organs, love to worship me with guitars, love to worship me uh, in formal wear, in non-formal ecclesiastical. He didn't ask, a lot of things he didn't, but he asked this, will I find a group of people who believe in me as Savior and are willing to follow me as Lord? So I have to then, in response to that, and in preparation for standing before his judgment seat, and I don't have that many years to, left to live here on planet Earth. I'm 77, and most of my life has been lived here on planet Earth, and what remaining years. I have to ask, uh, how can I 
optimally answer that question in the positive. I think, Phil, uh, that I'm first of all called upon to teach, to teach my spiritual children, whether at Calvin University or my own physical children and grandchildren or others in my contact, and I'm teaching right now at the Hanlon Prison, um, I first of all have to teach them the narrative of their life. And, and I, I, I go back to that main, main biblical script about creation and fall and redemption and restoration, that this is a big God who created a big world and you got an important place in it and so forth and so on. So I have to teach them how to construe their, their reality through the lens filter of that, of that script. So I think to teach them certain fundamental truths about the Christian faith is important. They have to be catechized. They have to be taught, as the early church uh, did. Secondly, I think um, that I'm called upon to, um, in the best way I possibly can, uh, serve for them as a model uh, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mo uh, I've been a teacher long enough to know that, that students will say as teacher says, but they'll always do as teacher does. And the single most important component to teaching is to model what you teach. Uh, so say with your mouth, but then show with your life what you're teaching. As Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, we must become not simply, we must not simply use textbooks, we must become text people. Uh, <laughs> Who else who was it who said, you know, the good Lord wrote five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. 99% of the people read only the fifth Gospel, you. Mm. So I think that's the second component. And thirdly, I think, in addition to a narrative script, in addition to serving as a model, uh, to, have, to have them join a community of people who... who believe together about these things so that the community can encourage younger people. So I think an intergenerational community, older people uh, who are willing to walk with young people, young people who are willing to uh, hang out with old people. And um, yeah, I'd like to believe that life is lived forward but learned backward, as Syrian Kierkegaard said. And uh, maybe we old people have got a couple of things to contribute to the next generation as well. <laughs> no doubt. So, so those, those are just a few things that I try to live by. And Philippians 4 verse 9 is, is, is a really important text. Whatever you've learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. First Samuel 12 verse 23, where Samuel's retired, he's getting really, really old. People come to him and say, you're not going to forget about us now, are you? And... Uh, he said, this is his comment, far be it from me to sin against God by forgetting about you. And I'll teach you the way that's good and right. Only be careful to serve the Lord your God with all your heart. I'll pray for you, he says. So that's my calling nowadays. I love, as, as you're talking about teaching, this, the phrase become, coming to mind is the medium is the message. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and this idea that we can teach ideas, but that that lived testimony seems to be really important, that people, relationships, as you were saying, are key. And one thing that has always stood out to me, and again, I, I'm, I'm uh, 
maybe I'm lifting you, you know, up too much here. But um, I, it, again, it, it's for me just a blessing. But everyone remembers that you remember their name. I mean, that's a common, a common that I mean, I've met people all over the world who, when they say Calvin College, oh, Coop, yeah, man, that guy, you know, he, he remembered who I was five years later. Can you talk a little bit, I, I guess, two aspects of that? One, why do you remember people's names? And two, maybe this is finally the moment, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, well, first of all, I believe it's true that the single sweetest sound, I'll just say in the English language, is the sound of one's own name pronounced properly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, if, it, if that be true, and I believe it is, uh, and the reason why it's true is because Psalm 139 is true, where the psalmist, thinking about his life, says, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before the word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind me before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Then, he, then the psalmist goes on and he says, Lord, you know, you go ahead of me, you go behind me, you hover over top of me. Well, Lord, that kind of... That kind of activity happens only to very important people in this world. I mean, to kings, to emperors, to presidents. You know, they got secret service all over the place. They got attendants. Psalmist revels in that. He says, but Lord, I'm a very important person to you. Mm. And Lord, you have called me by my name. So the psalmist is saying, my story matters to you. Now, if that be true, then we who represent, and I mean represent, but represent this God who cares about his children so that he calls them by name. By extension, we ought to do that. <laughs> mm. We ought to do that. So it's not a gimmick. It's a trying to live out the implications of a God who says, now you enter into the arena of people's lives. Enter into the arena of their lives uh, in the good things, in, in the evil things, in the sad things, in their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. Enter into the arena, the sacred arena of their lives and show them that they matter. It begins with calling them by name. So that's why it's important to me. Now, what's the gimmick? <laughs> no particular gimmick except practice, practice, practice. Phil, um, I made it a goal every year when I would, first of all, to be, you know, just to be a pretty significant presence, physical presence. I mean, I. I kept my door open in, you know, in my study and things like this. And students would file by and, you know, I, that's the way the Lord wired me. I, I love to meet new people. But when I did, number one, I tried to repeat their name. And in the conversation, in the initial conversation, to say it at least five or six times. So it's not just, 
oh, hey, how are you, and so forth. But Phil, how are you? And so, you know, Phil, like, tell me a little bit. Phil, because I really want, well, as I was doing that, I was trying to, yeah. mm-hmm. and then when they left, I wrote their name down. I wrote their name down. And um, usually a, a feature about them that would identify them to me, I, to help me to remember them. And then I would go over that list. So I'd memorize that list. Um, now once again, there's nothing magical <laughs> about how I, how I did it, because there are truth of the matters, there are people who can memorize a lot, lot better than I. But it was simply practice, 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 practice. Who was it, Ben Hogan, who said, the golfer who said, you know, the more I practice, the luckier I get. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's just, that was just my little way of doing it. But also the same, what I did with regard to memorizing people's names, I also did with regard to memorizing other things too. Yeah, yeah see, that, that to me seems to be then a, a heart posture. And when that intentionality is there, it creates the space for something to happen. And so as, as you were just saying toward the end there, even memorizing other things, as I'm thinking about names and, and God knows our name, and then how frequently we're invited to know God's name, I guess to sort of switch, to shift a little bit, what, is, what have you done to know God's name even better, I guess? Or, or names, right? We have many different Thank you. ways of understanding yeah. that. Well, first of all, it's, it's important to know, you're, and you're, you're touching on something really important. Uh, in the biblical time, and you're probably aware of this, but in the biblical time, name always equaled nature. So when Moses is asking at the burning bush, what is your name, please? He's not asking nomenclature. He's not saying, hey, could I identify you as opposed to a bunch of other gods? What he's saying is, can I trust you? <laughs> can I trust you when you call me to go down the land of Egypt? What's your nature? And then, of course, Yahweh comes and he says, my name is Yahweh. Now that's a verb, that's not a noun. That's a verb, and he's saying, I'm, John McQuarrie, the Roman Catholic theologian, has, I think, the single finest explanation of that, no, that name, Yahweh. It's not I am who I am, it's not I will happen, I will cause to happen what I will cause to happen. But John McQuarrie says, the name of the biblical God is, I will be there with you. I will be there with you. So as you pass through this, through that, through the next thing, my name is, I'll be there with you. Um, so to, to learn that nature and to become more familiar with the God who is, I will be there with you, requires me, prompted by the Spirit, to practice it, to practice listening to God. So you ask me, and I'll try to tell you a little bit. Maybe, well, I'll only tell you what I found helpful for my life. I'm not telling you, boy, do this, and abracadabra, zippity zoo. Look, I'm just saying what's helpful for me. And my only claim is not that I'm better than anybody else or I'm better than people who don't practice it. All I'm going to say is this. Dale Cooper is a little closer to his goal of being a saint through having practiced this than he would be if he hadn't. So here's what I found helpful. And 
yeah, I, I have to, <laughs> because we're, we're recording this, um, I'll have to describe it with my voice rather than with, my, uh, with a pencil and pen. But for me, it begins with a word. Uh, and, it, and by that I mean God's word. And by that I mean specifically the scriptures. So I've got a little, you could call it chemical formula. It would go something like this, W, word. And underneath that, I want to put three additional words. God's word memorized, God's word studied, and God's word meditated upon. Put those three together and make them form the anchor of one's spiritual life. Memorized, studied, personalized. Because at heart, the Bible is God's prayer book to his children. He's, he's saying to each of his children, I long to pray these words to you. I'm going to ask you to listen to me as I pray them to you. So to memorize, to study, to meditate is to learn to listen. Hmm. Um, a lot of times Dale Cooper in his busy, noisy, hurried, crowded life loves to come to God and say, listen, Lord, for your servant is about to speak to you. Uh, far more important that Dale Cooper be in the posture of speak, Lord, for your servant longs to listen to you. So it starts with W. And by the way, adding, uh, <clears throat> let me add this as well. I'm not only saying God's word, but I, I'm also saying words of the saints, words of hymns, words of creeds, words that can, on which I can feed my soul. So W, now on the bottom, plus S. S is sacrament. Obviously I mean baptism, Lord's Supper, but I also mean sacramental events in life. And let me tell you a little bit what I mean. A sacramental event is an event that happened to you, whether recently or in long distance, that you remember and that shaped your life. So let me just give you a little example. A few years ago, I took a, I took a ride on a, on a tractor that I owned, a John Deere, a 1941 John Deere B. And I went from Grand Rapids, Michigan uh, to Northwest Iowa at 13 miles an hour. Okay, <laughs> okay, so now why did I do that? I'm gonna tell you why I did it because I needed to say thanks to God for the gift to my parents. And my dad had a 1941 John Deere B. I, I, mine is identical to his. So as I was traveling, day after day, at 13 miles an hour, I had plenty of time to think. And I just went back over the trajectory of my life and all the things that had happened to me. Well, at the end of the day, the only thing I could do was echo Psalm 40, verse five. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders you've done, the things you've planned for me, who can begin to recount them to you? Now, Phil, even as I'm telling you that story right now, I'm remembering it. That is, I'm remembering it again. 
a good sacramental event, baptism, Lord's Supper, ride in a John Deere tractor, or anything like a birthday celebration, anniversary, and not even just the good ones, but even the sad ones, can become raw material that God helps us to remember his promises and commands. W plus S. Here's the second, and now it's horizontal to it, following it, plus O. O is obedience. Take God's word, its promises and commands, take the sacramental events of your life, use them as material to prompt your present obedience. So as you're traveling through good things today or evil things today or sad things today, summon up God's word. Summon up remembering the sacrament. Apply them to your life. So for example, if, you're, if I'm traveling through a fear-filled time, Psalm 27, the Lord's my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? Or uh, if I'm traveling through an event that, ooh, I don't know where I'm going. Isaiah 43, this is what the Lord says. I've called you by my name, you're mine. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the fire, so forth, because I have not forgotten about you. So anyway, that's putting it into obedience. W plus S and then O along the side, farther along the side is T. T is time. So taking God's word plus the sacraments, putting them into obedience over time. How much time? The rest of Dale Cooper's life. <laughs> because as John Calvin says, when you enter into the school of Jesus Christ, expect never to graduate <laughs> except when you die. Okay, <laughs> So it's day after day after day after day over and over and over again putting this into practice. Doing that ought to yield H, which is holiness. So an arrow after W plus so forth plus O plus T. Now there's one little word, uh, one little letter Two, actually, two sets of letters that I've left out. Put underneath that whole chemical equation, C in parenthesis. And by that I mean community or church. Because I believe that no Christian ever grows optimally alone. We need one another, encourage one another, build one another, pray for one another so forth and so on. So we a church or a community or a mentor or whatever, uh, a fellow Christian can serve as a catalyst to help me to do this over and over and over again. And now the whole thing has got to be bracketed by HS, which is Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen, Phil, just by Dale Cooper's <laughs> trying real hard. This is every day in utter dependence upon God's Holy Spirit I now pledge to try to practice these things. Mm -hmm. Now, more than you wanted to know about all that, but that's my little, that's my little uh, thing. I think it was perfect. In there now, kind of two, two points to kind of pull out of that. One, it's clear to me, and I think it would be clear to anyone listening, that scripture is just being pulled out <laughs> left and right. And so when you remember a sacramental moment or, you, or God's word, so that you can obey in a certain time. Mm -hmm. 
it has to already be rooted in you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. And all of that being surrounded by the Holy Spirit, I'm discovering with spiritual disciplines, there's a balance between the obedience of, as you said, he, I'm your servant, Lord, I'm here to listen. So putting in the effort to create that space to hear, mm-hmm. to yeah. maybe memorize. But then also, as you said, having a deep reliance upon the Holy Spirit to recognize I have nothing to boast in because it's not me. <laughs> so on the one hand, could you talk about what your practice of memorization has looked like? Why <laughs> that's been important? And then what is that sort of undena- un- unnamed part of what it means to rely on the Spirit, not on our effort? Well, <laughs> so to balance them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, well, I'm grateful that you caught what I was trying to say. It's not so much, well, yes, yes, it is a balance. But when Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, anybody who wants to come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Uh, neither Enoch nor Abraham nor Isaac nor Jacob nor Joseph um, at the end of the day or at the end of their life stuck their thumbs under their armpits and said, boy, weren't we faithful <laughs> seekers after God? I mean, they would have all said, oh, I, God, God led me along this path. So they were willing to be very, very clear and forthright about the fact that this didn't happen just by trying real hard. We were, we were blessed. Here's the other side of it. Not the other side, I don't know, an additional thing. Jewish rabbis always ask, uh, well, children came to a Jewish rabbi one time and said to him, Father, uh, where, where did Enoch go? Well, he said, I know. Enoch went to be with God. And the children said to him, well, how do you know that? Because the rabbi said, the last time I saw him, he was walking that way. <laughs> the last time we saw him, he was walking that way. So this was a daily kind of practice. Now, just let me touch on the importance of memorization. If God's word and the sacraments and hymns and stuff like that are to dwell in our hearts, and if we're if we're to put them into obedience as we travel through the circumstances of our day, we've got to have them pretty close at hand. So that's why the process of memorization. Now, modern life has done a number on our ability to meditate. We've got we got it all down in memory banks and you know so forth. So even the printing press has done a number on us. Uh, but back. God, God's word was oral to, to those people way back then. And they they stored that up in their memories. So um, I got started in, in this whole matter of memorization because I, I ran every morning. And I thought, ah, driven Calvinist that I am, uh, I thought, hey, maybe I could do two things at once. So in addition to running, um, I, uh, I wrote down on three by five cards well, I began with one of the creeds of our church called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's 129 questions and answers, and I memorized one each day. And after about two years, I had that, that wow. down. 
Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I just did it day after day after day. Then I thought, man, this is weird. I'm memorizing a creed before I'm memorizing the scriptures. So I began to do the same thing with regard to the scriptures. And once again, it, I am no big deal. <laughs> it's, there, are young, there are people who can memorize far, far better than I. But it's simply a factor of age. I've just done it for, yeah, over and over again for so many years. But that's how I, that's how I got started with memorizing. That's just a little technique that I use. Three by five cards and I got them. Yeah, I've got them. I love that. And it silks <laughs> in. But there's, a, but there's a sense, and I, as you said, you know, I, I think that's where it's important for people to hear that one time being important, but two, you know, I was reminded I was reading um, A.W. To- Tozer. Oh, yeah. And he was talking Pursuit about, yeah, Pursuit of God, exactly. Yeah. And he was talking about how when, in the time of Moses, when the people were bit by the snake, you know, God said to Moses, put a brass snake on a pole, and when they look at it, <clears> then they'll be healed. And, and Jesus then makes a parallel to that story, saying, like that, I must be yeah. lifted up and, yeah. and to look upon him. And there's a sense in which the very intent of gazing upon God opens up that potential for God to do the work, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And so in something like memorization, maybe we're not the best memorizers, but I feel like the intent of making scripture a central part of our heart, of our meditation, of it, must sink it into some depth, even if we're not expert memorizers. I think you're right. Thomas Merton says uh, in one of his prayers, Oh Lord, I have no idea where I'm going. I don't know the road ahead of me. Uh, I don't know where it's going to end. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I can have that desire in all that I do. So simply that we make every effort. Second Peter chapter 1 at verse 5. Second Peter 1, he says, uh, Make every effort to add to your faith, to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness, godliness, and love. For if you keep on doing these things, you'll never again fall and you'll receive a rich welcome. Um, so it's simply that we tried, I believe, is a thing of beauty to Jesus. Then we have nothing to boast in, right? Because oh, the rest I of mean, the work is it's all God, right? Well, it's all look, none of us is any big deal. We're all tiny, as Madeline Lingle says, we're all tiny little bit players in a much larger drama written <laughs> by somebody else. Oh, no, please, please, please. In whatever, uh, whatever I want to say here, I would certainly want to say, please, please, please. Uh, the church is not a show place for saints, and it certainly ought to. No, we're just small little people. <laughs> that reminds me, there's a, there's a quote, um, someone else was quoting you, and they said that you had said, I'm not called upon to do anything. I believe Jesus calls me to be somebody. Uh, <clears throat> I believe Jesus calls me to be somebody. He calls me to be a saint. Mm-hmm. What and does that mean to you then? Well, what, is, what does it mean to be a saint? And it's a calling. I mean, that's, you know, the New Testament talks about vocation, uh, a lot uh, called to do this called to suffer called to, to practice this called to work here and so forth the first calling is Ephesians 1 um, called to be a saint Paul always says that you know called to be saints so what does it mean to be a saint 
Well, I think it really means to aspire more and more and more and more and more and more to be in, with, like, and for Jesus. I've just used four prepositions. <laughs> in him, to fellowship with him, to become like him, imitating him, and fourth, to serve for him. Uh, those four prepositions are for me pretty important in terms of being markers toward how well we're doing. As we get closer to um, the end of, of our time, one question I, I would ask you is, you know, there's people of all ages that listen to this all, all across the board, but if there was something you were to leave with people, or, or a few things, or four things, or five things, whatever you're feeling like, in terms of, you know, your walk with Christ and others who are, are seeking and have that intent of my heart to grow in with for, you know, Christ, um, what sort of, maybe a challenge and an encouragement <laughs> that you could offer people as they walk this same journey of maybe what you've learned and discovered that you could pass on in a few words. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Easy well, question. Fine, yeah, far be it for me to tell anybody. <laughs> What, what they ought to do. Um, I can only say that when Jesus calls me to proclaim the gospel, he says, make sure you preach it to yourself, Dale. Of course. So, just preach it to yourself. So I can only say what's, what I aspire to live by. I, I have several, several very important anchoring texts that I long to shape my life with uh, by. One of them is Acts 20, verse 24, where St. Paul says about his life, and I long to say about mine, I consider my life worth nothing, except that I may win the race and complete the task which the Lord Jesus has assigned to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of his grace. So that's one. Another one is Acts 13, verses 36 and 37, where talking about David, the Old Testament figure, it said, for when David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one who, whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Now it just says, for when David had served God's purpose in this generation, I longed to serve God's purpose in my generation through me. So when it comes time for me to end my life here and to check out, um, I long to not be a big deal, but just to say, hey, I tried to live for Jesus as carefully as I could. Because this is preeminently true, John 3, 29 and 30. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And when he hears his voice, he's delighted. So the goal is to attend the bridegroom. And as John the Baptist says, 
he must increase, I must decrease. So, Phil, when I come to the end of my life here on planet Earth, I have two goals. Number one, I want to be grateful. So I prefer to use the prayer, thank you, thank you, thank you, rather than give me, give me, give me, or please, please, please. I want to be grateful, so I want to cultivate gratitude. And secondly, I want to cultivate trust. Uh, and then I want to, you know, that for myself. And then for others, I just, I want to live up 1 Samuel 12, verse 23, as I told you before. To be like Samuel, what I've gotten from my ancestors, I want to give to my heirs. And as Forrest Gump said one time, that's about all I know about that. <laughs> okay. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. It, it's been an honor to get to talk to you for a short oh, time. Oh, wow. I think, I think we go back, man. You should start your own podcast. I think oh, yeah, uh, People right. would listen endlessly to... Oh, friend, I have no idea how to run something like this. <laughs> but but we, you know, I appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you, not just for this, but for uh, years of love and uh, pastoring. We're just so grateful. Joy and privilege are mine. Thanks. Hey friends, Phil here again. Before we go, I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us for this special episode. I pray that you were blessed by this conversation with Dale Cooper, that you were moved, challenged, encouraged in some way in your own walk with Christ as you look to make space for the Spirit. If you enjoyed this episode, we do greatly appreciate reviews on uh, the different podcast platforms, especially Apple iTunes. We have lots of other interviews that we've done, so go through those archives, check those out, and uh, continue your journey with us as we explore spiritual disciplines and what it looks like to make space for the Ruach, for the Spirit, as we grow in our relationship with Christ. Grace and peace be with you.